May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, my old friend and mentor, Rick Fabian, used to say, Lutherans may be saved by faith and Catholics by grace through the administration of the sacraments, but Episcopalians are saved by the calendar. We begin every service by mentioning which day of which season it is. Today is the first, day of, first Sunday of Advent. And uh, preachers frequently begin their homilies or sermons by mentioning what day it is in the context of the cycle of the lectionary, which is a three-year calendar of readings that determines which passages of scripture we hear in church each Sunday. Um, In addition to that, Advent also marks the beginning of the church year. It's when the whole cycle starts all over again. I think we just finished year C, and now it's year A, or anyway... So anyway, Happy New Year. And we begin the year not at Christmas with the birth of Jesus, but four weeks prior to Christmas with the story of the longing and expectation for the one who is to come. We spend this time before Christmas preparing. The beginning of the year, therefore, is a time of preparing And all the church structures, this calendar that I'm slightly making fun of, uh, but also the changes that we make in the church during the season, the color of the vestments that the clergy wear and the church is also adorned with at the pulpit, the lectern, and on the altar. The wreath that hangs over the pulpit to mark the four weeks of Advent with four colored candles. And in our case, anyway, an innovation that we struck upon which is to move the altar forward because it's coming. (laughs) We use the structures of the church to uh, create meaning for ourselves so we're not adrift wading through an endless sea of scripture. The calendar, the lectionary, the architecture of the building, the shape of our liturgy, all these things are intended to put some structure in place to help us preserve tradition, meditate on the truth of scripture, and derive meaning for ourselves. And this season of Advent is one, uh, the church will constantly reiterate a season in which we are preparing for the coming of God, preparing for the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Prepare the way, as the great hymn tells us. But It's funny because the church's own structures and traditions sometimes don't line up with what the Bible actually says. So if you listen to the church, the church is telling you you've got one, two, three, four weeks to prepare for Jesus, who's going to be born December 24th, right here at 3, 5, 8, and 11. (laughs) Same thing every year. But the Bible says something different, doesn't it? The Bible says you don't know when God is coming into your life. Jesus says not even he knows, no one knows, not even the Son. Only the Father knows, only God knows when God is going to arrive, to appear in your life. 
So we make these structures for ourselves, and we tell ourselves a story about preparing because it's important, but it's also uh, not the whole story. We prepare ourselves for the unexpected, if you can imagine such a thing. The other funny thing that happens in Advent is that the church, both homiletically, uh, in sermons, and in terms of church sort of uh, ephemera, materials, posters, and flyers, and mailers, and things that you see around the church, banners you might see hanging on church buildings, they all say things like hope and joy, because that's what we're preparing for, or the tools with which we prepare. Hope and joy. Raise your hand if you like those things. Hope and joy. Very good, very good. Lots of... We need it. We need it. I'm a big fan of those things. But again, the scriptures sound a different note. I don't know if you caught the opening prayer offered by Chris at the beginning of the service, as well as both the readings and many of the hymns that we sing this time of year talk about the coming judgment, not the coming renewal or the coming birth, the coming judgment. So now, raise your hand if, you're, if you like judgment. Right? <laughs> Far fewer fans of judgment in the room than there are of hope and joy. And I myself uh, have bristled a bit at the word in my life, but I have come to really appreciate the fact that the emphasis of the church's hope and expectation is an emphasis on judgment. But we need to think for ourselves what we're talking about when we're talking about judgment. Because primarily, or maybe exclusively, our experience of judgment is an experience of human judgment, which is flawed, which is imperfect, which leads to its own kinds of error and injustice. After all, the word judgment is from the same root from which we get the word justice. Judgment and justice are connected, and we want justice, which is setting everything right. But only God can provide the judgment that will produce true justice. So in fact, the judgment that we hope and long for is the one provided by God because that is the correct, true judgment of all things. When I was in high school, my brother uh, was in an altercation with a person on the street. He was, had been out on a date with his girlfriend and was dropping her off at her apartment. And in what my mother thought was an ungentlemanly gesture, he double parked so she could just get out and walk up to her apartment. And because he was double parked, another driver on the road took umbrage at this fact and expressed his disappointment in my brother's choices verbally. And my brother responded in kind, and one thing led to another, and the man threw a full bottle of beer at my brother's car, and it went right through the back window. And it turns out it wasn't even my brother's car. It was a friend's car that he was borrowing, (laughs) which he then had to return to his friend smelling of beer and covered in broken glass. The police were called, and they came, and they took names and information, and there was a court date to settle the matter. And it turns out the man had a record, not surprisingly, and a history, and it turns out that my father actually knew him. 
My father had worked as a bartender for many years, and he knew the guy because he'd kicked him out of so many bars. <laughs> so when they got to court, it turns out my father also knew the judge. Because, you see, my father worked as a bartender. <laughs> I'm not sure how he knew the judge, but he did know the judge. And my brother said, it was funny that Dad knew the, the guy, but when, when he realized, when the judge said something to indicate that he and my father had known each other, my brother's anxiety about how this court proceeding was going to go just dissipated. We, he, we know the judge. Everything's going to be okay. That may not be how we want our justice system to actually work, but my brother's experience tells us something about our relationship uh, between the anxiety that we feel around just judgment and what we're really hoping for when we talk about that. So the question for us is, do we know the judge? Do we know the judge? Can we trust that Jesus is the right judge? Because there will be a judge. And whether we want it to be a good judge or a bad judge, that's up to us. And if there's no judge and there's no judgment, what are we doing here? Why make an effort for a better world? Why make an effort for spiritual growth if there's nobody to say yes? Which is, after all, what God's judgment is about. So, uh, this season of Advent um, is also characterized by constant admonitions to calm down and be quiet. Right, this coming Saturday, Jan West is hosting her annual Advent Quiet Day. Hi, Jan. At St. Columba's in Inverness. It's an annual tradition that St. John's offers a whole day to be quiet, contemplative, to meditate on God's word and your life. Other churches that I've worked for have sort of littered their campuses with signs on every door that say, slow down, it's Advent. In my opinion, I think those signs are really directed at the clergy more than anybody else. But nevertheless, that's the message that seems to be coming across. Slow down. Be quiet. But it's funny because, again, when we look at the actual scripture readings that are assigned for this day, they say something else. They don't say slow down and be quiet. They say, wake up. Wake up. Pay attention. God is happening. Something is happening. Things are changing, and God is acting in the world, and you're going to miss it if you don't pay attention. Now, I think that the reason that we invite people to slow down and be quiet is because if we don't consciously choose that for ourselves, the distractions offered by the world, which become more amplified every year, will seriously inhibit our ability to listen to God's word speaking justice and peace through the right judgment. So we need to make a choice for ourselves about how we conduct ourselves preparing for the coming of God, preparing for the birth of Jesus by being quiet, settling ourselves in, listening for God's word so that we can wake up and hope 
for the right judgment which sets all things to right. May it be so for us this season and until he comes again in power and glory. Amen.